Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day, and it is also the 100th episode of the NBA Deep Dives podcast across five seasons. A little bit sporadic, you know, in terms of when those have come out, but thank you to everybody who's been listening, whether you've been listening from the very beginning or have just recently hopped on board. So since it is Draft Deep Dives Day, I am here today with my co-host, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Doing great, Nick. We have playing basketball on the horizon. Uh, We're recording about half an hour before. Can't wait for all the excuses and complaining to come out right after all these games. Uh, But it, it, it should be fun regardless. I think we got a lot of the complaining sort of out of the way early, you know, before the play in tournament happened. But, you know, it's like there are four teams out of 30 every year that will be upset with this. And then there's the everybody else in the NBA landscape that loves this idea. So, you know, I think that's just sort of how it's going to be. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. It's, it's a fun little wrinkle and something different. And if you don't want to play in it, win more games. Well... We are at the back end of the lottery of Tyler's Big Board, so some of the teams that are playing today will probably be in line for a few of the prospects that we're going to talk about today. So we're going to start with the number 12 prospect on Tyler's board, Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. He is a very strange evaluation. I think I'm a bit higher on him than you are. I think I'm actually quite a bit higher on him than you are. He's a great passer. He ran point guard a lot for Florida State this season as a 6'7 to 6'9, depending on where you look, power forward type. He sees the floor really well, and on the defensive end, he can and does switch on to almost any and everyone. His half-court offense is a lot of runners and pushing through guys on drives. His transition passing is excellent, you know, along with the rest of his sort of passing game. The jump shot off the catch isn't great, but I don't think it's like broken, broken as his 25% shooting numbers from deep might indicate, but the off the dribble shot, uh, no bueno. That being said, you know, he's again, 70th percentile on synergy defensively and 86th percentile on ISOs. So pretty much anyone who gets him one-on-one is going to have serious trouble scoring. He's just barely above average on offense overall but he's in the 92nd percentile for possessions plus assists. So this is a guy who has a very strange game, but one that I think fits a lot better now in the NBA than it would have 10 years ago. But you're a little bit lower on Scotty than I am. You have him at number 12. I currently have him in the top 10, but he's a very interesting prospect, and I'm sure there's a very wide range of evaluations on him. But what are your thoughts on Scotty Barnes? Yeah, he's he's fascinating on just the surface and he's so weird he's for me he's like the biggest enigma of this draft class where you know I, I've seen a lot of people have him as high as five or six and I completely understand it I've seen him as low as 20 and I also get that view of it and you know personally he's a guy who I've moved all over the place because I, I really struggle to land on you know what he's going to be at the next level you know if best case scenario I can picture him as this kind of point forward do it all defender who's your defensive cornerstone and your defensive floor general 
worst case scenario, you know, I, I see him as Tony Allen, where he's a really good defender, but on offense, what do you do with him? Um, and I, I don't trust the shot at all. Uh, I don't think that will really ever come along anytime soon, probably eventually, because a lot of guys are proving that shooting is a pretty learnable or improvable skill. Um, but early on, I think it will be a mess. And a lot of his offensive impact is going to come down with to what type of playmaker is he actually going to be? And how is whatever team draft, how, how will that team use him offensively? Because if they use him as an off-ball guy, uh, I, I, he, his impact will be minimal. Um, if they kind of put him in motion, maybe use him as a screener and like a, a secondary playmaker. I think early on his impact could be boosted a little bit, but my, my hesitations with him are purely because I don't know what to do with him offensively. And part of that is just me obviously not being as smart as NBA level coaches. Um, but I, I do think there's a big issue in what type of role he will play and that's not a complete indictment because it it can lead to a lot of creativity and a lot of mismatches on that end because he is a really high level passer especially for his position so if he's given that trust and that leeway to make some of those passes like he was at Florida State then I think he could be really interesting and really valuable to a rotation. So the thing with me for Scotty Barnes, I think, you know, it's sort of obvious to say, well, a lot of this depends on fit and where they end up. But, you know, with Scotty Barnes, I think the thing is that he fills a lot of gaps decently well to the point where I don't see him being quite at Tony Allen level of offense just because A, he can dribble and B, he can pass, which Tony Mm -hmm. Allen wasn't that great at. And, you know, obviously he's not Tony Allen defensively because pretty much nobody in NBA history ever was Tony Allen defensively. But he's also, you know, again, depending on where you look at the listing, between three and five inches taller than Tony Allen. And he's probably going to play a decent amount of small ball five at the next level where his lack of shooting doesn't really matter all that much. And his off-the-catch shooting, I think that by year three or four, he can be at, like, 30% from that range, which obviously isn't great. But, like, if you can at least get a few defenders to hesitate every once in a while when you're taking that shot, I mean, the fact that defenders still buy Russell Westbrook pump fakes from three gives me a lot of confidence in the fact that as long as he takes, like, two or three of them a game and hits them at around 30% by year three or year four— that combined with his passing, I think, will be enough on offense. And defensively, I think he's got the versatility and the isolation defensive chops to stay on the floor, mostly because of his defense. And then the question is, can he do enough on offense? And if he can hit even 30%, I'm very confident that he can do enough on offense. And, you know, even if he can't hit 30%, you know, when you're talking about the 12th pick in the draft, the average guy is like a low-end rotation player, and I'm very confident that Scotty Barnes, as a defense-first guy who can also make the right read on passes, is a rotation-level player. So to to kind of go back to his jump shot, I mean, he's 
18, he was in the 18th percentile on all jump shots, 40th percentile shooting off the catch, 8th percentile shooting off the dribble, uh, 15th percentile on all jump shots within 17 feet, uh, 30th percentile on all three-point attempts, and uh, 29th percentile on floaters. So I, I, I just I don't think he has any touch, and that part of it is more concerning. I, I think he's just really mechanical, and it's it looks uncomfortable watching him shoot. So I, I, I think a, a big difference in how we view him offensively is that you're a little more optimistic in his shot coming along, not to an extraordinary level or average level even, but I, I struggle to see him even get into a place where I, if he's shooting 30% from the outside, I'm, I'm more than comfortable just leaving him alone on defense. As a defender, I, I think he's really fascinating. I don't like the Draymond comps, um, and maybe part of that is just because he's still a teenager, and Draymond's, you know, when he entered the league was, you know, a four-year vet out of Michigan State. So, you know, very different points in their basketball career. Um, but and he has an insane motor, insane competitor, and his on-ball defense is really unique where he'll pick a guy up full court and hound him the entire way and switch on every screen. Um, my concerns come with his off-ball defense where a lot of the time he gets, he loses his man, he gets caught just floating and it's like, he's trying to play this free safety role, but he just gets caught in no man's land a lot. And, you know, I think part of that is him being, you know, a young kid and part of it was the role that he was asked to play. And I don't think he really, you know, filled that role as well as they wanted him to. So I I hesitate to call to be really worried about his off ball defense, but it certainly didn't leave me impressed. That's fair enough. I mean, going back to the jump shot just very quickly, I think I completely, well, first of all, I completely agree with you about the off the dribble stuff. It looks weird. It's and, rough. Yeah. And you said, what, eighth percentile off the dribble? Yeah. But the important number to me there is the 40th percentile on catch and shoots and the 30th percentile from three point range. That's not good. That's below average by the definition of how the word percentile works, but it's nowhere near as bad as the off the dribble stuff. And at the next level, he's just not going to be taking anywhere near as much off-the-dribble shots as he hopefully would be taking catch-and-shoots. And I'm much more comfortable in him just as a standstill jump shooter than I am with him as a catch-and-shoot guy. And that, I think, is going to be much more important to his success at the next level. The defensive stuff is interesting. You know, I read off the ISO numbers. I don't think either of us are uncomfortable with him in man-to-man defense or locking down his guy one-on-one. The off-ball defense is a little worrying, but, you know, I think the flip side of that is, you know, the fact that he's 19 means, yes, he's got a lot of development left, and, you know, I think that's the kind of thing where he's not going to have as much on his plate, both offensively and defensively, at the next level, and pretty much nobody is good on the defensive end as a rookie, so, Mm -hmm. you know, if he gets on the right team or gets in the right system— you know, based on some of his off-ball reads when he's not just sort of getting lost ball-watching, I think he'll get much better in that regard. And 
you know, he's already shown on ball that when he's locked in, it's really hard to score on him pretty much across the board. The Draymond comp is aggressive. The other comp that I think is a bit aggressive but maybe closer is Bam Adebayo in the sense that he's someone that is going to be switching out onto pretty much everybody, but not as much, you know, sort of backline quarterbacking the defense. Bam does a lot of that, to be entirely fair, but I think that's really the level where Draymond is maybe the best of all time, and it's unfair to sort of give that comp to anybody. But Barnes is also closer size-wise to Bam Adebayo, which means he's probably going to be playing a lot more five. And when you're that quick and versatile at the five, along with the athleticism to, you know, still get up there with the seven-footers in the paint if you have to— that's where I think his defensive acumen can really come to light if he gets just enough better at the off-ball stuff to continue to wreck things on the ball. Yeah, and when, when I, you know, voice my concerns over his off-ball defense, it's it's something I fully expect him to get more comfortable with and more aware and all all of that. I expect improvement. I just a lot of people are painting him as this defensive savant from day one. And I think he will fail to meet that bar because he's a, he's a rookie. It's, it's a huge adjustment and we saw him really struggle at times in college. So I do think there will be a lot of growing pains in the NBA as he's talented and obviously sees the floor with his playmaking so I expect that to improve. Um, there are just some habits that he'll really have to focus in and iron out. Um, my 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 only I, I get what you're saying with the BAM kind of idea, and I know you're not saying it's a one for one. Um, no, not Bam, at all. Bam, Bam is just he's a thick dude, and Scotty doesn't have that. He has these high hips and kind of gangly limbs, um, which he's just a really weird body type, and I. So I don't think he'll be able to really do much down low against like true centers. Um, but he does have the length, the quickness, kind of the agility where he can be disruptive if he, you know, pulls a chair out on him or, you know, pokes the ball loose. I just don't think he'll be able to really kind of bang down low like Bam does. That's fair. I mean, I guess the center idea for me with Scotty Barnes is more just that his shooting hurts you less if he's playing the five. Right. And so, you know, if he can get you minutes against smaller centers and, you know, at least hold up for a couple of possessions against bigger guys before, you know, maybe you swap him out or something, I don't know. But I just think that his offensive game works a lot better if you can run him as a five, run him out of dribble handoffs, you know, maybe passing out of the post, that sort of yeah, thing, yeah. as opposed to, you know— especially over the last five years or so, it's gotten so much more important to be able to shoot from the power forward position. So if he's playing mostly four, then that catch and shoot ability is going to be even more important. And therefore, if he doesn't sort of meet that bar, then it's going to be even more of a problem. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree in that standpoint where kind of offensively, he's going to be forced to kind of play that center role. Um, I would love to see him land on a team with, you know, that really versatile stretch center like the Timberwolves or the Mavericks unfortunately neither of those teams will have a first round pick to take him so that point is kind of mute but those types of players where offensively like even though they're centers they kind of play and play you know the four position and then defensively Barnes can go back to playing that four um, and kind of really match up and 
wreak havoc while guarding the wings while also being able to kind of play that more traditional five role as the screener and kind of tertiary kind of playmaker off of that in space. Here's a wild card for you. What about the Chicago Bulls for Scotty Barnes? Him alongside Nikola Vucevic, I think is a really interesting fit if they can make it work. But I think that would be a really interesting spot for him and might work out pretty well, especially since, you know, Zach Levine is going to be getting a lot of the attention offensively. You know, if he's just a secondary playmaker making passes out of, you know, high lows with Zach Levine, you know, that could be a really interesting fit for him there. And, and pairing his kind of versatility alongside uh, Patrick Williams at the three, uh, it, that, that, that could be a, a really, really fun lineup. So quickly, before we move on to our next prospect, sort of best guess at ceiling floor, and then how we view him as a prospect overall. So I think, as I said earlier, that his floor is like end of the rotation defense first guy who can make a few passes. If he hits his upside, you know, if he can get to, I don't know, 32, 33% even from three, I think he could be a top half of the league starter at his position, be that power forward or center. Yeah, and I... If he hits his true ceiling, I mean, he he could be one of the most versatile players, you know, in in the league. Not from a sense where he's you know a true shooting threat, but he's this you know all NBA level defender. He's a true you know lead or secondary high level initiator, and you know he he's figured out how to be a much more effective kind of you know finisher and at least shooter kind of in the mid-range so if he really hits a ceiling it, it, he could be a massive massive steal if he falls you know past six or seven all right let's move on to your number 13 prospect by far the biggest riser on the board between the top 45 edition and the top 75 edition Josh Giddy for the Adelaide 36ers in the NBL. He announced on Sunday, I believe it was, that his NBL season is over and he's now basically just preparing for the draft. I hope he spends every single minute of that time preparing for the draft in a weight room somewhere because he's very, very, very skinny, but man, he is such a fun passer to watch. You know, he makes pretty much every kind of passing read you want. And at 6'8", he's got the height to see over guys and, you know, make the kind of plays that smaller guys can't always make. He's a better driver and a better athlete than I thought he was. His first step isn't great, but it's certainly better than I thought it was. You know, maybe that's just compared to lesser quality of athletes, let's say, in the NBL. But he still looked better than I thought he would in that regard. The jump shot is really concerning to me. He hit just over 25% of them. It's really slow, and his legs are super inconsistent on it. His defense is not exactly anything to write home about, but he does have decent help defense instincts. He got a couple of really unexpected blocks, actually, on his highlight reel in the NBL. The jumper looks a little bit better from mid-range than it does from long-range, which, given the fact that he weighs like four pounds, makes me worry if maybe it's a strength issue. But the flip side of that is that's the kind of thing that can be improved over time. And the kind of thing that really can't be improved over time is just his absolutely absurd passing vision, which is the reason why he's climbed from maybe a second-round guy to pretty clear lottery pick for most big boards that I've seen anyway. The playmaking and 
combined with his size is really the selling point on Giddy because it's, you know, it, it, it's something you we don't typically get from point guards. It's a really unique combination. We've seen how effective it's been for guys like LaMelo Ball recently. Um, Giddy's not quite that level of passer, but it's that similar kind of mold of this 6'8 point guard who can and will make some of these absurd live dribble live dribble passes and giddy's ability to make those you know live dribble skip passes um with either hand um is really really fascinating and a skill that we don't typically see from guys entering the draft and that i think really kind of sets him apart from a lot of the other kind of point guards in this draft i'm not super worried about his shot i think it looked like it was improving as their season went on it's still not where it needs to be and he still needs work on it uh like like you said it's really slow and i'm hoping that that's something where it's just him getting used to like some mechanical tweaks um but Early in his career, defenders are going to go under the screen on him, and he's going to have to get to a point where he has to make him pun- or he has to punish them for doing that. Uh, he he doesn't have to be a forty percent shooter, but he does need to be in the high thirties because if if he can't keep defenses honest from out there, it's really going to limit his ability to put pressure on the rim and then create for his teammates out of that. Um, I, I, I worry about his I, I, I think he's a good athlete, not great, but solid. But I worry about his kind of lack of flexibility and lack of bend and wiggle on his drives. Um he, he can get cut off pretty easily or and bumped off his spot. He doesn't get low. So I think that will be an adjustment for him going from the NBL to the NBA. But his size makes up for a lot of his deficiencies on both ends of the floor. Yeah, he's got a really great spin move, but he also relies on it, I think, way too much in terms of that's pretty much, it's unfair to say that's pretty much the only way he can get to the rim, but like that is the majority of the time what he's going to rely on when he's got a guy in front of him and he can't get around him. And, you know, as we've seen with Pascal Siakam, once people figure out the book on that, you know, they could take it away and then you really actually have to have something else you can go to. And if you don't, then it's a lot more of a problem. And Giddy is nowhere near the kind of scorer that Pascal Siakam is now. No, no, that definitely not. Um, but I, I, I think he's got a little bit of sneaky athleticism to him around the rim. I, I think he gets off the floor a little quicker than you'd expect. And not that he's going to be routinely dunking on guys, but as he continues to add that strength, I do think he'll get a little more effective around the rim. So we've talked pretty much exclusively about his offensive game, and there's a reason for that. But, you know, the flip side of that is, as you mentioned, his size just makes it so much easier for everything to work on both ends of the floor. And, you know, the kind of thing that we've seen with Luka Doncic is, you know, if you have a six seven guy he's not going to get as terribly roasted as like your six foot guys, because you can credibly hide him on the least threatening player on the other team, pretty much regardless of position. I mean, you're certainly not going to put like 12 pound Josh Giddy on a center, but 
you know, you have a lot more options with him on the defensive end, and he's got the kind of basketball IQ on the offensive end that makes me comfortable with the idea that eventually he'll figure out how to be average on that end, especially given his size. Whereas, you know, for a guy who's six foot six one, you know, they have to be really, really aggressive and really, really great defensively to make up for the fact that they're just not as big as the guy that they're guarding pretty much nine times out of 10. And and you kind of touched on it earlier with his team defense, and that's really going to be the area that he has to lock in on. Um, Because if, if he can just be a good team defender and, you know, make the right tags and, you know, deny the right passing lanes and not get beat back door or lose his guy off screens, you know, stuff like that. As long as he's average at that, I think it'll be more than enough. Um, I, I don't expect him to turn into this on ball stopper or anything like that, because I, I don't think he has the athleticism or, you know, frame to really do that, but I don't think he really needs to. I, I think he'll be fine without that skill, you know, assuming he's, surrounded by the right pieces and yada 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 but the 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 team defense the off-ball defense as long as he's not a liability in that aspect then i i I don't think his defense will be a a massive liability yeah i mean it really just needs to be good enough and you know if he can get just a little bit better at jumping passing lanes because this guy is a menace in transition you know again he's a good enough athlete to get out there in transition and you do not want this guy making hit ahead passes so you know that's also something where the defensive rebounding element is important i mean People have given Russell Westbrook way too much flack over the years for triple-double chasing, and the main reason that I say that, as someone who hasn't always been the highest on Russell Westbrook, is Russell Westbrook getting rebounds is such a benefit to your transition offense, and Josh Giddy having size and solid rebounding, he averaged seven a game in the NBL, you know, that really helps him boost the transition attack. And if he can get just a little bit better at jumping passing lanes as sort of another way into that kind of transition attack, then I think he'll be good enough on the defensive end to get by with maybe not being as good on the ball. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of anticipating his defense translating similar to what we've seen from LaMelo Ball, where LaMelo hasn't been a good defender, but he's been so much better than at least I expected. I thought he was going to be an absolute dumpster fire because he showed zero effort. Um, and, you know, there are possessions where, you know, he's tucking in his jersey or wiping his shoes or tying his laces or fidgeting with something on himself while his guy's cutting back door and scoring on him. And, you know, now this season we're seeing him compete and you know rebound and immediately start that fast break like you said and i i see a lot more competition and effort from giddy this year than what i saw from Lamelo in his you know dozen nbl games so that that gives me some hope that you know it seems like giddy cares it doesn't it's not a complete lack of effort thing um so I, I do have some hope that he's he will be competitive on that end. He will improve as a team defender and, you know, at, at worst, just be in the right spot and put himself in positions where he can then grab that rebound and make that immediate hit ahead pass or, you know, just sprint out in transition and, and initiate the offense. 
So this is a difficult one to do for prospects that are easy evaluations. So it's even more difficult slash ridiculous than it would be to ask this for other players. But best guess at ceiling floor for Josh Giddy. And honestly, I think his floor is, I think he will be a guy that can be on the end of a bench, even if pretty much nothing works out for him. His ceiling, again, sort of similar to Scotty Barnes. I think he could be top half of the league in his position, just given his ridiculous creativity and size at the point guard position. But, you know, I'm trying to guess ceiling floor for a guy who, like, two months ago was seen as a second-round prospect, so who knows? Yeah, no, it's, he, he's, he's really fascinating. And if that pull-up jumper uh, comes along to a point where defenders just can't go under the screen— He's good. He could be an offensive nightmare because without that, he's going to struggle to really put pressure on the rim. With that, it opens up so much more opportunities for him to really manipulate and punish defenders. Um, I, I get a lot of like bigger Ricky Rubio vibes from him. Um, but you know, if that shot never comes along, if he's never put really kind of gets stronger or adds much weight or, and his defense, you know, even takes a step back due to the, the change in competition that, uh, you know, he's probably your third or fourth guy off the bench. I think the bigger Ricky Rubio thing is interesting, but I think the big difference, yeah, I mean, the obvious difference is four inches of height, but the other big difference I think is Giddy just seems like he's a lot more aggressive, especially in terms of attacking the rim than Rubio really ever was. And, you know, the shot, but ridiculous playmaking, that's that side of the comparison I get, but... I feel like especially towards the end of the NBL season, Giddy was more aggressive in terms of trying to take the ball to the hole than Rubio's really ever been. I mean, young Ricky was really good at getting to the rim, um, but he would always get there with the intention of creating for others, whether it's a drop off to love or kick out to a shooter. I don't think, I, I don't think Giddy will have that same ability. He, he definitely doesn't have that same ball handling. Rubio's ball handling was far, far, far superior to where Giddy's at right now. But again, I Giddy's able to kind of get into those spaces where Rubio got to because of his ball handling. Handling Giddy gets there because of his size. So, given his size, I think he'll be able to put a little bit more pressure on the rim. But I don't think it will be all too different in volume. Maybe just a little different in style. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, you know, to be clear, what I meant more by the aggression was scoring aggression, not driving sure. aggression. Yeah, 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 that's fair. R R Ricky definitely rarely looks to get his own, unless it's this absurd mid-range leaner to his left that never goes in. Because why not take that shot, right? It's it's the best one available. Speaking of why not take that shot, let's move on to James Booknight <laughs> at number 14. <laughs> so the thing about Booknight is... He has really great instincts in the open court. He's got a solid layup package. He's really great at contorting around the rim. His step backs look good. His side steps look good. He's a three-level scorer. He's not a crazy athlete. He's got great hops, but he doesn't have the kind of burst or first step that I tend to think of for like the really, really crazy athletes. But he does have that great body control down low, which is really helpful but he doesn't really do anything all that great outside of scoring and 
he also shot 30% from deep this year on five plus attempts per game. And granted, those were very, very difficult attempts, but he's got to be more efficient from that range if he's going to be the kind of player that he was in college in the NBA, namely a microwave scorer type. And the question for me with Book Knight is, you know, he was in the 68th percentile on offense, but if you're including possessions and assists, he was in the 47th percentile. I mean, this dude just doesn't pass. And ultimately, you know, if he's just going to be a below average efficiency scorer who can put up 18 points a night and not do all that much else, I can understand why you dropped him from 7th on the top 45 to 14th for the top 75. Yeah, he he's kind of tough for me because I I absolutely love his scoring game. I I think he's the best off ball mover in this class. Um, the just the way he runs off screens, changes paces, and just finds weird ways to lose his man. Um, and I I, I just I cooled off on him some because as the season went on, because his shooting, it, I, I don't want to say it fell off. But it it left me less impressed than it did in the first half of the season, let's say. But he's he's just a really impressive scorer. I mean, 84th percentile in isolation, 61st in transition. Uh, he was in the 93rd percentile on runners. So, you know, I, I want to think that he has a little more touch and that, you know, his, his shooting percentages kind of dropped off because of role and volume and I mean that UConn team was not very good and I think you know they had like one other guy who I thought was a solid shooter on that team so I he had to carry a lot of the offensive load and he had an elbow injury midway through uh, I, I believe is um, not his shooting arm but you know still it it, it affects everything but I, I I just I worry that that if that shooting doesn't return to the, you know, near 40% or that he was showing when he had like in games where he had that 40 point game, which was incredible. If the shooting doesn't improve, I worry about how much of a scoring impact he can actually have. And then if he's not having that massive scoring impact, I I don't know what he does on offense because he, he doesn't do much playmaking. Some of that might, be you know because of his teammates and the role he was asked to play I don't think he's you know Cam Thomas bad when it comes to shot selection but you know he he definitely went out there looking for his own so the off-ball movement is really the only reason why I'm not a lot lower on book night than I am because I think that if he gets onto a team that basically tells him, look, you're going to be coming off the bench for 20 minutes a game. You're going to be trying to get yourself open for three-pointers. And when you get the ball beyond the three-point line, you're taking that shot. And, you know, you can maybe shot fake and drive your way to the rim if you see an obvious lane for it. But that's going to be your role is catch and shoots or off the dribble well, not off the dribble, sorry, but uh, off screen kind of off ball movement shooting. And that's going to be most of what you're doing. If he's just doing that, then I'm pretty confident that he can be a solid NBA player. But Mm -hmm. the problem for me is if he starts getting too aggressive with his shot, you know, he's not making plays for other people. So when that shot's not falling and he's taking a lot of them, 
that's a problem. You know, there are a lot of players in the NBA that could score 20 points a game on 25 shots a game. And that's what I worry about most for Booknight is that he shoots too much to be efficient and therefore let his offensive game shine. And he doesn't do enough else on the floor to really justify getting major playing time. Yeah. And, you know, I, w- w- when he's cooking, when he's feeling it, it's really easy to get enamored with his offensive game because it, it's really, really impressive. It's just the, you know, I, I really want I really, really want to think that the late season stuff was just a toll on him and because of his role and volume and what he had to do for that team offensively. But if you're taking a shooting guard, you know, in the top 10, you're going to expect him to carry that similar type of load and be that type of player. So, you know, maybe that's not a good sign, but then again, he's a kid. I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles. Um, I digress. Digressions are what we do. This is a podcast. (laughs) I I do like the idea of him more as that six man. um, And, kind of in a role where there is a clear offensive initiator, someone that he has to defer to um, where, and someone who can really be like, nah, dude, like this, this is how we're doing things. Um, Because I I think that'd be really, really good for him and really help him kind of hone his shooting and offensive skills and find ways to really make an impact on the offense in ways that aren't just him breaking down this defender it's weird because honestly i feel like he's got a better chance at having a good career if he goes like 15th to 20th than if he goes Mm -hmm. like 5 to 10 yeah no i i I totally agree because i'm i'm i I kind of tend to feel that way with a lot of guys because they're going to you know better teams yeah Um, fair (laughs) but i mean and I, I I don't mind him in Indiana playing alongside like a Brogdon uh, or in Memphis playing alongside Ja and Desmond Bain. Um, you know, e- even in, if he went to like Washington alongside Beal and Russ, I, I think that could be interesting. So I, I have seen a lot of people have him top 10. I just, I, I don't I think you'll really get that much return on him or at least the, the variability in his outcomes is a little too wide for me to put him that high. Man, I love that Indiana fit for him. Just running off screens, off ball for Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert and DeMontis Sabonis. That I think could really, really work. Wow. I really like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely, be. There, there, there are a lot of really fun landing spots for him. There are a lot of really worrisome ones though, too. So, Let's talk quickly about sort of best guess at ceiling and floor. And I think the range for Book Night is, I don't know, maybe Scotty Barnes has a similar kind of absolute peak, but I think the range for Book Night is a lot bigger than any of these other guys. I could see a world where he plays like six years in the NBA as an inefficient chucker type off the bench before sort of falling out of the league. I could also see a world where he makes a 15-year career for himself by being an off-ball two-guard who shoots a heck of a lot better than 30% from deep. And I don't think that 30% from deep number is indicative of the kind of shooter he is, but I think the fact that he fell that far is also telling in a way that is a bit concerning. So, you know, I think the floor is pretty low on him, but 
there is a world where he can get it all together in terms of the scoring and make a couple of 20 point seasons sort of happen for himself. But I don't know. It's weird because, you know, that stretch down the end of the season was basically the opposite of his end of his freshman season, which, you know, is a really strange sort of dynamic in terms of the evaluation because his end of his freshman year was really when he started to sort of climb onto draft boards and get his name into this sort of draft consensus. And it was the exact opposite story this year, which, you know, I think is telling, as you mentioned, of the fact that he was carrying this team in a way that he wasn't asked to as a freshman. So I, I tend to agree with kind of your floor where I, I I think he'll be kind of like a, a back end of the rotation type guy where he, you know, he's playing 10 to 15 minutes a night, getting a couple shots up, averaging six points or something, playing okay defense. Um, I, I think absolute best case scenario is Richard Hamilton. Um, and that that's hard for me to say because Rip was, you know, one of my all-time favorite players growing up, but the way he moves off ball, you know, some of the shooting I think is really similar and I do see, you know, some potential for the defense. I worry a little bit about his lateral quickness on that end, but kind of the, the off ball defensive awareness, the competitiveness. Um, I, I think he wants to be a good defender. I just think he needs to kind of improve his perimeter footwork. So absolute best case scenario is he's, you know, a really, really good starting two guard on a contender. Yeah, the lateral quickness thing, I think, is a very important point. You know, I sort of touched on it earlier, but he's got some really crazy dunks in his highlight reel, which I think tends to make people think that he's a bit better of an athlete than he is. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that lateral quickness also shows itself on the offensive end where, you know, he'll try and get around guys and he ends up sort of having to throw up that floater because he can't quite get around the corner every time. And, you know, that's sort of the concern for me with him, you know, more on the defensive end, certainly than on the offensive end, because he's proven that he can be a great three-level scorer even without that kind of burst. But ultimately, the effort is so much of the defensive playbook. And, you know, if he's going to put in the effort, then I think it'll be fine. And I don't think he's a bad athlete by any stretch, but I think it's easier to sort of see the highlight play athleticism and miss the fact that, you know, laterally, he's not that quick. And even end to end, he's not as fast as his hops would certainly indicate. But man, he can get some highlight dunks up there. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I I think he's a little quicker than you do. I, I think he's he's a pretty good north north to south athlete. But when when he has to go east to west, like you do rather frequently in a basketball game, uh, I I think he can struggle. So that that you know it, it's not a complete hindrance. It's it's something that you know that that perimeter footwork is something you can improve. Um, I'm just not sure whether or not he will. So before we wrap things up here, we sort of touched on this earlier, but it's really interesting to me that the biggest risers and fallers of the lottery portion of your big board are both in this podcast with Giddy versus Book Knight. And I don't know, it's it's really strange because they're so, so, so different as players. Yet, you know, now they've sort of met each other in the middle, like right around the middle of the first round. And 
it'll be interesting to see, you know, where the trend lines go from here. You know, whether Giddy just had a hot couple months in the NBL and isn't this kind of player, whether Book Knight had a cold couple months and is a much better player than we think he is, or who knows, maybe it's the other way around and these trend lines kind of continue. Yeah, I mean, well, so admittedly for me, um, the top 45, I only, I, I don't think I had done or gone through enough giddy tape where I really felt comfortable putting a legit ranking on him. So that played somewhat into it, but I, I definitely wouldn't have had him this high. What I really love about prospects is when they demonstrate a really high feel and understanding to the game. And, you know, that that's pretty evident throughout a lot of my rankings with, you know, Cade and Mobley um, and e- even Jalen Suggs being my top three and Moses Moody at six. So, you know, just guys who really understand the game, who it comes naturally to, who are really good decision makers. And then when you take all of that with Giddy and add in that wild playmaking that he has and his size, it, it just, it paints the picture of a prospect who could be incredible and really versatile and, you know, really, you know, this, this next step of where we're seeing primary initiators go in the NBA. So to have him, you know, not, not in the lottery, um, just seems like a disservice for me. And then with book night, I think a lot of my early season stuff was just being completely enamored with, his scoring, which was awesome. And then as that cooled off, you know, my, my excitement for him did a little bit as well. And then, you know, that, that inability to really be a great point of attack defender and that lack of elite or high level perimeter defensive footwork that always bothers me kind of regardless of the guard. So inefficient shooter archetypes are my least favorite kind of draft player to evaluate. And I am consistently much, much, much lower on those guys than everybody else. Spoiler alert, in a couple of weeks, we will be doing a podcast on my top 30, where Tyler will get to relentlessly make fun of me. And I'm going to say right now, Josh Christopher is not on there, and he will not be making an appearance on there. (laughs) Because that is the kind of player that I absolutely can't stand. The kind of player who can only score inefficiently and can't do anything else. And the thing with Book Knight is I'm a lot higher on him than either Cam Thomas or Josh Christopher, because I think he does enough off-ball, and I think the effort, at least, is there on the defensive end to the point where I'm nowhere near as worried about him just being a guy who gets a lot of eyes because he puts up 15 points on 20 shots every game. But that kind of thing I could very easily see for Josh Christopher. No, I'm looking forward to that Christopher conversation because I I have him at 21. I I think he can do a little bit more than you do, obviously, Uh, but but that'll be a combo for a different day. Um, But, and, you know, just because I've dropped Book Knight some for all the listeners, I I still really like him. He's at 13 right now for me. So he's still in my lottery. I, I really like what he could be. I just, I think there are some habits that need to be refined. I think there are some mechanical things here and there on both ends of the floor that need to be refined. Um, not saying it won't be done, just think that the variance of outcomes for him is wide enough where I just didn't feel comfortable with him, you know, top 10 anymore, and I can't wait for him to make me look like an idiot. All right. Anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up? Um, Evan Mobley's scouting report officially submitted, finally got, got done, uh, about 4,000 words, so get ready to read and a lot of video in there too so 
it, it, it was a fun one that should probably be out soonish next couple days i don't know something like that all right well he is tyler metcalf you can find him on twitter at t-m-e-t-c-a-l-f-1-1 and you of course can and should find that evan mobley piece on hashtag basketball.com tyler also wrote an awesome awesome piece about anthony edwards a few days ago for canis hoopus so you should definitely go and check that out as well if you haven't already you can find my work on hashtag basketball. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a... Oh, what? Did I screw that up? Fuck. <laughs> I've done this outro like 7,000 times. And of course, the 100th podcast is the one where I completely f***ed <laughs> it up. Leave it in. Oh, God. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.